Welcome to the Sermon B-Side Podcast, a podcast of Liberty Church in the Harrisburg region of Central Pennsylvania. Sermon B-Side is designed to be a resource to answer your questions and to go deeper into the conversation started by each week's sermon. Good morning and welcome to another episode of the Liberty B-Side Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Wright, and I'm joined uh, this Tuesday morning uh, by the one and only Matt LaLoyan. Matt, how are you feeling today, buddy? I'm feeling all right. And uh, yeah, sorry for the delay. Uh, Believe it or not, this is about 100 times better than my voice sounded yesterday. So, And I can 100% <laughs> confirm that. So we're going to give it a shot, even though it's not quite back to normal. Yeah, but. we're going to make a run for this, yeah. even though last week uh, you and I perhaps flew a little close to the sun. We pulled in we did. an Icarus last week we and, and made some jokes in the presence <laughs> of the Ark of the Covenant. This, this you, little Ark in the, the office. You heard it here first, guys. Uh-huh. The Ark of the Covenant is actually here Yep. At the number one church in Camp Hill. Uh, that was that was the end of Indiana Jones. It was actually showing the building that is now Liberty Church. It used to be a warehouse, you know. That's yeah. The, okay. Well, that, is that going to be our scheme for uh, being able to raise funds that's for a, 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 yeah. a new building? This was yeah. that warehouse that Man. they hit it in. Huh. Yeah. Man, I got to be too. I got to be careful here, Matt. I don't want to fly close to the sun again. <laughs> um, all jokes aside, we, we have a lot of ground to cover today. We do. we got great questions. Some incredible questions, some really good questions, um, some observational questions, some more like practical. How do we apply this? What, it, what does it look like to really wrestle uh, with the content of what we're seeing in Exodus? But I think really quickly, I wanted to pull back and just say, it is a busy season, mm-hmm. right? We had yeah. in covenant class on Sunday. I did a training on Sunday. Uh, we've got men's and women's uh, events coming up in the, the next two weeks. Yeah. We've got a lunch and learn coming for foster care and fatherlessness stuff. Yeah. It is a crazy time with kids in school and sports. And I think I think uh, it, it's good for us um, to be shaken out of those seasons of, of that busyness and be confronted, I think, with texts like the one that you presented to us on Sunday, Matt. So I, yeah. I just want to say I felt like your your sermon on Sunday was a, did a really good job mm. of actually maybe disrupting that busyness a little mm. bit and actually reprioritizing our hearts and minds mm. to realize the significance of the chunk of scripture that we're we're entering into. Yeah. You called this the very heart of the Old Testament. We're digging yeah. into the Passover, the Exodus, the deliverance of Israel through the Red Sea. Yeah, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to actually marvel and really pause. Mm at the theological significance of, of the texts that are in front of us. So I just wanted yeah. to say, like, yeah. you did a really good job, I think, kicking mm. off this, like, huge big-picture section of Scripture mm. on Sunday and even kind of shook, shook me out of some of my busyness mm. yeah. and yeah. is pointing me to the realization of how serious sin really is yeah. and how in need of deliverance we really are. Yeah, it's, I mean... Some texts in the Old Testament are hard to point to Jesus from, and some are not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this and this is one not, is not. This one is not, um, and it really does. It's, I mean, it's hard to think of an Old Testament narrative that shapes our paradigm for mm. salvation more vividly than this one. There, there are certainly others. There, there are other lenses in Scripture we have on what salvation is, but... Man, this is a this is a prominent one. Yeah. Uh, the Passover, the the shed blood of a spotless lamb, mm-hmm. that God uses, God looks upon to pass over us and not not judge us in our sin. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, my hope. I mean, it's encouraging to hear Jenna, um, just how it how it was impactful mm-hmm. for you. And I, I, my prayer certainly is that would be true for all of us at Liberty, and that it, it, we would, in the midst of our busyness, remember just how incredible and just that that renewed awe and astonishment of mm-hmm. of the sacrifice of Jesus, the substitutionary sacrifice mm-hmm. uh, in our place. And yeah, so yeah, it's man, yeah. it's I've never gotten to preach through um, Exodus or through. Passover specifically before, but um, but it was a joy to, to get to dive in and open that up. Yeah, and I, I think it's fun to look at familiar texts and yeah. be surprised. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and so I, I, why, with that, why don't we just jump right in on, on Sunday? You you only covered two chapters, which man, like we we slowed down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, right. we were in Exodus eleven and twelve. Yeah. Uh, with Exodus 11 being a little bit shorter, so that mm-hmm. I think allowed you to really spend the bulk of your time in 12, but mm-hmm. really hinging on this idea of distinction and death. Yeah. Uh, so why don't you really quickly, 90 seconds, just give us maybe just like big picture overview. Uh, what did you accomplish on Sunday? Uh, and yeah, we can transition from there. Yeah. Yep. The, those are the two big um, paradigm shaping kinds of things that really jump out from the Passover narrative in particular. Uh, learning something of how God makes distinction mm-hmm. between people and then learning something about the, the central place that death has in crea- in life, mm-hmm. uh, in rescue, in salvation for the people of God. So with distinction, talking about how we see God not making distinction between different classes or, or groups within the Egyptians, yeah. um, all of the firstborn of the Egyptians will die in this 10th and final plague. Mm-hmm. But God does make a distinction between Israel and Egypt. Uh, that even has its roots going all the way back to God choosing Abraham from Genesis, among the nations yeah. of the earth uh, to bless so that he might be a blessing and through, bless all the nations through him. Mm. So there's this this interplay of, of how God makes distinction uh, ultimately and then even seeing the, the Israelites themselves not having an automatic mm. rescue from salvation just because they were Israelites. Uh, that they also had to be, they had to be people of faith who heard God and believed and obeyed what he told them to do. And so that, that just gives us this, um, like, you know, foreshadowing to the ultimate fulfillment of these things in Jesus, where the only distinction that matters, it's not, it's not that the world is divided between good people and bad people, or some nations are righteous and some nations are unrighteous, but it's, it's how do we respond to the offer of a sacrificial substitute? Mm. Will we respond with faith and obedience to Jesus or will we reject Jesus? Um, so many even more distinctions get blown up through Jesus's fulfillment of, of these things in the old, in the old Testament, Mm. where even the, the distinctions that get upheld for the Israelites in their ongoing celebration of the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is, you know, things like circumcision, even that distinction mm. in Jesus ends up meaning nothing. Yeah. Uh, but only faith working itself through love, as the Apostle Paul puts it. So that was distinction. And then death, we see that in, in the in the way that the kingdom of God works is that life and salvation can only come through the death of another yep. and, and this idea of substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. that the Passover really sets the paradigm for uh, the Old Testament law quickly picks up with the sacrificial system that, yeah. that the Israelites under the old covenant carry on uh, until Jesus and points forward to Jesus. And then Hebrews has a ton to say about Jesus being the fulfillment of the Passover and of the sacrificial system, his blood being the once and for all uh, atonement for our sins. So distinction, death, um, Certainly, you see that playing out in the Passover itself. Those were real events, real people, but but also the way they look forward to the fulfillment in Jesus. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I think you, as I said at the beginning, I think you did an incredible job. Um, I think it's easy as if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time to lose that awe and significance mm. of the blood of Jesus, yeah. right? But uh, yeah. I think it, I think it's helpful, helpful exercise daily to remind ourselves that even in Christ, we still need that that yeah. blood of Jesus applied into our lives daily. For sure, and that's a, just a really healthy exercise to, yeah. to be reapplying the gospel in our lives, in our homes, in yeah. our Bible studies. Yeah. But before we get into some more, maybe like detailed questions from the sermon yesterday. Yeah. We've got some more like zoomed out, like oh, sure. Exodus yeah. type questions, and even some observational type questions from Exodus. Great. Um. So why don't we start there? So yeah. we, we have a question that's kind of zooming back to Exodus chapter 4, verses 24 and 26. Yeah. And I think it was Ben that kind of alluded to this yesterday okay. Okay. Uh, or last week. Yeah. Uh, but he, basically, the, the question is saying, we know Exodus is a massive book, which okay. yes, yep. uh, and with more information and content that's feasible to cover. But would you be able to give more insight into Exodus 4, 24 and 26? Was God actually planning on killing Moses? Right. Uh, so this is kind of this little passage that Ben alluded to where Moses was going to die because he did not circumcise his son. Yeah. Um, Matt, what are some of your thoughts there? Yeah. Was God actually planning on killing Moses? Uh, and maybe even that plays into the conversation Ben and I had last week uh, of the yeah. sovereignty of God yeah. uh, in uh, giving his covenant to a covenant people, but the obligation of that covenant people to then obey and yeah. actually uh, have responsibility for their own actions in that covenant. So uh, yeah. what are some of your thoughts that you have there? I, I thought you guys did that really well on last week's B side, talking through that piece, the interplay between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. I would say to this question that God was planning on killing Moses mm. to the same in the same way that he was planning on uh, killing, killing Isaac, Isaac when Abraham was going to sacrifice mm -hmm. Isaac, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his firstborn. So it's only in the retrospect that you see that God had a plan to to not actually mm -hmm. go through with that. Yeah. But that there's no indication that when that when that initial command was given from God to Abraham, that Abraham took it any way other than seriously. And he, yeah. was, and he went and did it. He went and obeyed. He, he went and did it fast. Very quickly. <laughs> and which would have been so impossible to do given even the background of that story, right? So I yeah. think I think you, you have to think about this in a similar way to that, mm -hmm. where I think God was actually planning on killing Moses until Zipporah um, you know, in Moses's abdication and absence of being obedient there, Zipporah, his wife, circumcised their son. I mean, it's a really odd story, right? They yeah. apply, applied strange, the foreskin to his feet. You're like, story. I don't, yeah, it's a very odd story. So there's so many questions about that story. But just to this person's question, I would say he was, but he was also planning on Zipporah intervening and then him relenting from what he was going to do yeah. otherwise in the same way that he relented from mm. not actually having Abraham follow through and kill Isaac. Yeah. And I think that's helpful. And my mind obviously went back to Isaac as well. For sure. Uh, I love all the continuity we have with looking back into Genesis and yeah. that, how that carries throughout the rest of the Bible. My missions brain comes alive when we start thinking about some of those things. So it makes me really excited. Yeah. Um, maybe transitioning away a little bit, still thinking like big picture level, right? Sure. Um, our, our questioner, our next questioner is really trying to wrap, wrap his brain around what is the actual size of the people of Israel that we're seeing on display in this text, right? Yeah. We even had a questioner that we haven't actually gotten to asking a very similar question. So um, essentially the question is trying to, is, is saying, 
the text in, in verse 37 in chapter 12 is saying that there are 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So assuming this translation is correct, we're talking 600,000 men plus uh, probably the same women, number of women children, and then, children. And then yeah. we also have a mixed multitude that yeah. is in the midst of, of this uh, that we also talked about. So we're, we're assuming a lot of commentators are saying anywhere from like one to two million people. Um, this yeah. does seem like a massive, yeah. massive group. I was even reading that that would be like a, a, a group of people that is like 10 miles long or something. If yeah. you're thinking like if the represent, if you line them all up back to back, to, back to back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't That's, know, Matt. What do we, what do we do with that? What, yeah. um, I, there are some popular theories here. There, yeah. there seems to be uh, amongst biblical scholars, like this idea that it's, we can take that number at face value. So sure. one to 2 million people. Um, there are some that are, are, are kind of leaning into like maybe some conflated numbers here or inflated numbers here. We don't know the exact number. So they're attributing a, just a big number for effect. And then yeah. the third is that that word that is used there uh, can actually mean clan or group of people. Yeah. Um, in know. in all of your research, what is some like helpful ways or helpful shelves for us to to think about the, yeah. the number here? Yeah, it's really good. It's, it really is a difficult <clears throat> problem to wrestle through, um, issue topic to wrestle through. Even as we get this next Sunday to the Israelites crossing through the Red Sea. That same question will come back up again. Like, is the how is that? 10 many, miles long? Yeah, how many people can you get through this? How wide was the opening? Yeah. See, the people were walking through. They probably weren't walking single file, but, you know, it, it, would, take, it would take a minute to get that many people through yeah. the sea. So, really good question. I, I, to that last theory about the, the word thousand, meaning clan or family unit, I have a really hard time getting behind that theory because it would seem then if, if that was how it was applied, that same concept would have to be applied in, in Joshua when, yeah. the, when the Israelites do enter into the promised land. Hmm. That same word in Hebrew for thousand, which is used here in Exodus, is also used there. And if you're going to take this one and reduce it down to family clan, you would most certainly, like for continuity's sake, need to do the same thing there. It's the same group of people 40 years later. Yeah. And those numbers would not work out. Israel would not be big enough to actually to actually conduct some of those, those wars that they were involved in in the conquest of Canaan. Yeah. Um, if that was family unit. So I, I, I think for continuity's sake, that theory doesn't really hold a lot of water for me. Um, there's problems with the, with both of the other theories. The face value theory, the, the main problem is, well, the main problem is like archaeological and historical. Like, but there's not other records or yeah. evidence that would seem to support that. The problem with the inflation theory would be that I, I think there's actually some merit to the inflation theory, but here's my qualifier. Yeah. Um, I, I think in ancient Near Eastern narratives, they weren't as pr- concerned to be scientifically precise about things mm-hmm. like this. Now, in numbers, in a similar account, they actually do take a census of the people in the yep. wilderness. And it's a very similar number. Very similar number of, of men. It's like 603,000 people. You know, it's like yeah. it's very close. Um, but I, so I, I do think that going back to the Exodus numbering, there could be some inflation, but like it'd be really like the chronological snobbery we would have to go like, well, yeah, and they saw a group of fifty thousand and estimated it was six hundred thousand. Like it wouldn't be that much of an of an inflation. Like they yeah. may have inflated it a little bit, or they may have their estimates may have been off a little bit, but it wouldn't be like the difference between forty thousand and six hundred thousand. Um, I, I think we we have to give ancient people more credit than that. Yeah, they like they could get in the ballpark of the number, right? Um, so 
that there's maybe a, a little bit of merit to inflation theory, but but the, the problem would be to get the number down to what people would f- would would prefer it fit into the archaeological evidence would be a ma- would require a massive, a massive overestimation. overestimation. Yeah. So with all of that taken into account, I think the the face value or like a slight estimate close to the face value of the numbers we have yeah. in scripture is is the best way to go without. Um, without doing a lot of damage to yeah. the credibility of yeah. the biblical narrative, threatening the consistency of the overarching biblical narrative here, and the and there is that that does create the, the which we have other questions in in scripture when we, when we put them side by side with life and even anything supernatural. Yeah, is how does that line up with a scientific kind of view of the world? Yeah, kind of like it's a it's it's an understandable question to go. Where's the archaeological evidence? It's a fair question. We don't have a lot that points to that number of people, yeah. but I think it's still better to hold that as the as the problem where where science has not quite been able to discover that this yeah. as God has revealed and, it. And I think that's, that's been true for for Christians for thousands of years holding attention yeah. the as we've uncovered more and more archaeological evidence, there's been overwhelming sentiment that the the historical accuracy yeah. and integrity of the scriptures have been upheld. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that is that is coming from that more like kind of non-anecdotal, yeah. historical, verifiable, uh, that is that is fitting into our more modern Western worldviews to actually say, man, like, this yeah. document is 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 holding up For to sure. the, 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 the test of time. For sure. Uh, and I, I think in the midst of some of these tensions, we, we have to read Scripture in light of the rest of Scripture. Absolutely. And know we have a lot of good, helpful verification even outside of Scripture. Yeah. Um, but there is sometimes some mystery and some tension when we're we're reading an ancient Near Eastern yeah. narrative that yeah. that just works a little bit differently, I think, than how we would tell a story sure. sometimes as yeah. well. That's good, uh, and that's just helpful uh, yeah. in being good Bible readers to sometimes think about how do we take off that that Western lens yeah. and and try to un- understand some historical context, but also rest in yeah. the sufficiency and inerrancy of Scripture yeah. in the midst of that. That's right. Um, Kind of switching gears a little bit, but I think still kind of like living a little bit in this more like observational space here. Sure. Um, basically, uh, this questioner is, is kind of like getting at the, the the idea that you were talking about that Jesus has fulfilled the Passover. Mm-hmm. So we see in this yeah. text that uh, the Jews are actually commanded to mm-hmm. continue actually keeping this as a festival of remembrance of God's redemption, restoration, and uh, like deliverance from slavery. Yeah. Um, so the questioner is, is basically asking, um, is it threatening the fulfillment that Jesus has done, that fulfillment you talked about from Hebrews, to actually uh, come alongside a, a Messianic Jew and mm. participate in a Passover meal. Yeah. Um, is that a threat to uh, what we do at the table every Sunday? Is, is there something inherently wrong about that, Matt? Like, what are some of your thoughts there of, of helpful practice or impl- like yeah. implementing that into your, your life? Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question. I would say there's nothing inherently wrong with celebrating a Passover. Yeah. Um, with other Christians, with Messianic Jews, I think there's a richness to. Um, I've gotten to do that once that I can remember. And I think you have too, yeah. Jen. I think we were talking about this, mm-hmm. where where you've had uh, someone that's a Messianic Jewish, uh, a Messianic Jew, walk you through what a Passover meal, a seder, mm-hmm. what that would look like with all the different components. Yep. How they're so they're so infused with with symbolism and meaning and anticipation of the Messiah coming 
um, there's a lot of real, real beauty to, to understanding the roots of our faith going all the way back to the Israelites and the people of God and the way that they celebrated the Passover year Absolutely. after year. Um, where I would, what I would say is I actually think about this a lot. Like I would think about circumcision, um, for Christians in, in the new covenant, you know, yeah. under, on this side of the, the, the work of Christ where, um, there's nothing wrong with circumcising your male babies. Like it's, you're welcome to do that. It's a very common practice in the West for many years now to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, historically when Gentile nations would, um, would, would, uh, come to faith in Christ, that, that was actually even what we see playing out like in the New Testament. There would be these battles of like, do they have to get circumcised now that they're to be, you know, they essentially have to become uh, ethnically or culturally Jewish yeah. in order to be to, faithful to Christians. To be faithful, yeah. And the overwhelming uh, account of the New Testament is no. Nope. That distinction gets blown up. What gets lost in that, though, is Paul actually says, feel free to circumcise your kids, though. Both Jewish and non-Jewish people, if you want to, do that. You're welcome to do it. Yeah. Just don't look to that to be... Your salvation. salvation. Your the, the work of Christ is what saves us. And so I would say very similar to Passover, um, you would be welcome to celebrate Passover so long as you weren't looking to that to be like, so long as you saw the, the fulfillment of the anticipation of Passover in Jesus mm-hmm. and looked to Jesus. Yeah. The very same way you would not have to celebrate mm-hmm. Passover. You, you don't have to. The command to celebrate Passover for the people of God um, is not binding through the fulfillment of Jesus. So like, if you haven't celebrated Passover for your whole life, you, you don't have to like confess your disobedience yeah. um, for that either. I think there's a lot of freedom. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of places in scripture where we're given this freedom um, to, you know, based on our conscience, based on how we understand even the, even our own cultural backgrounds and continuity um, of what we should or should not participate in. I think this is one of those that we have freedom in. Yeah. And, and, and I, maybe what I would add to that is there is also an immense freedom and joy in, in that exercise of looking back and remembering. So yeah. it, participating maybe in a Passover meal with a Messianic Jew yeah. actually gives you a lot of shells in your own brain to actually then look forward to what Jesus's fulfillment yeah. is actually doing in the Lord's Supper. So the Last Supper yeah. is a Passover meal. Yeah. Uh, there's an immense significance to that. Yeah. Um, but as we, as we're always looking back, I think as Christians, we realize that yeah, Jesus has fulfilled in his life and death and yeah. his resurrection, yeah. that work of the Passover. But there is this element where we're living in this tension of now, but not yet. So we're, yeah. we're looking back and remembering and rehearsing what God has done in, in our lives and lives of others. But yeah. we're looking forward uh, to the fact that our bodies and this earth is still groaning under the effects and weight of sin. So there yeah. is still work that is still to be done in us and on this earth. So we're, we're looking forward yeah. to the fact that one, we need resurrection too. This yeah. earth needs resurrection too. And that we're all going to be completed yeah. and we're going to be at a feast. Yeah. That's good. Forever. Right. Yeah. Like that that's we're going to spend eternity with yeah. this God in Christ's inheritance feasting. Yeah. Uh, and that is like in as much as Jesus's work, on in his first coming is the fulfillment of the of of the Passover. Even more so, there's still more fulfillment that is to come. That's right. That's and good. and if we're living in that space, man, like there's a lot of joy and hope to be found that's outside of our temporal circumstances for us. Yeah. That I think sometimes we miss. Yeah. Uh, and it's helpful, I think, to sometimes live there. That's really good. Uh, as well. That's really good. Maybe maybe one one little kind of additional thought is if. 
I'm thinking of a Eugene Peterson line that essentially calls us like spiritual tourists. Like we're always just kind of hunting for experiences yeah, and not actually doing the long, slow, patient mm. work of formation. Yeah. So I guess maybe the caution I would give is if you're just, if you're, if you find yourself kind of as a Christian itching for just like experiences, mm. like I've got to do that experience. I've got to do a Passover meal with a Jewish congregation, a Messianic Jewish congregation. I would say, um, rather than hunt for experiences as meaningful as experiences can be, find the deep meaning in like in this case mm. communion the lord's supper yep. and, and even the week in week out celebration of it because far from being rote or empty that's also like it to your point which is right on there's the anticipation mm-hmm. built into that meal yep. where jesus says when he's when he's instituting it i won't eat of this of you with you again till we do it in the, in the kingdom of god yeah and the and that idea of we proclaim his death until he comes mm-hmm. the anticipation built there so find the richness of that meal mm-hmm. even if whether or not you choose to do the the passover yeah. celebration i think there is richness to it but but just a, a caution against trying to hunt down you know spiritual mountaintop experiences that kind of like mm-hmm. you know like i've got to take this this pilgrimage to this place i've got to do this it's like you don't you can actually find the real meaning in the in the everyday faithfulness of things like in this case the passover fulfilled in jesus yeah. And then the Lord's Supper being the, the ongoing meal for God's people. Yeah, and that there there's there's immense joy and satisfaction to be found in that everyday, day-to-day, week-in, week-out rhythms. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right, I, especially my generation, being a true millennial, the wanderlust, <laughs> like that— that that kind of characterizes my young brain, right? Where sure, I was always sure. longing to be out of the hills of West Virginia where I grew up yeah. and wanting something more. Yeah. Uh, and realizing that the something more is can only be found in Christ. Uh, yeah. And in that, there's abundant joy and we can work in satisfaction and we can yeah. create because we are imaging our creator God. And there's yeah. so many things that are abundantly joyful about that that I also think we miss in kind of like reform spaces. Yeah. But it's not found in jumping from experience to experience. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and I think that's really a really helpful caution to us as as we think about doing things like participating in, in Passover yeah. meals. Yeah. Really specifically, though, this question or two uh, is asking, specifically in Exodus 12, uh, were there special instructions given to the Israelites for how they were to eat the Passover lamb? Mm. Yeah. I mean, we see that throughout this text, right, that they're supposed to, um, they're supposed to set the lamb apart several days before. Uh, it's supposed to be a male. It's supposed to be a year old. It can be from the flock or the herd. It can be a lamb or a goat. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're supposed to kill it on the 14th day. Um, they're not supposed to break any of its bones. Right. They're supposed to roast it. Not, not supposed not to, to boil it. Yep. They're not supposed to eat it raw, which doesn't sound good anyway. Why would but, we do it? But I'm sure that happened. Um, so, yeah, there's... And um, they were supposed to eat all of it. All of and it. And what they couldn't eat, they were to burn Correct. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there are very um, significant special instructions given there why all of the special I, so there's more spoken to in exodus about the the bread not being leavened mm-hmm. and then that getting and that was a more just out of the the, the quickness and the haste it didn't have time to leaven like it was like but the and the ongoing celebration of the feast of unleavened bread it was to remove the leaven and that becomes you see that really in the new testament picked up too mm-hmm. that leaven becomes a symbol um, for sin and, and the purification of God's people to remove the leaven of sin from your life. Keep, keep yourself free from, from evil and from sin. Mm-hmm. So there are, there are significance to these instructions, but it's, it's harder to see, I'm sure, for the Israelites in the moment 
where, when, like you look back on the Passover through the lenses of the cross of Christ and you see that, okay, Jesus's legs were not broken on the cross. That was a common practice for Romans in the first century when they wanted to hurry up the execution. They were surprised that Jesus died as fast as he did, Mm -hmm. but they didn't break his legs. They didn't break his legs like they thought they were going to have to. Mm -hmm. Um, There's, there's things like that that you look back on. Even one of the Psalms between 22 and 31 talks about that none of his bones were broken. Um, so there is significance to it, but it's it would have been hard to maybe know all of the significance in this moment for yeah. the Israelites. Easier for us to see as we see it fulfilled through Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that that's really helpful. Um, switching gears away from Passover, maybe even zooming in a little bit on sin uh, yeah. here. So I, I think you touched you touched on this on Sunday, but really this idea that the Passover of the Israelites was not guaranteed. There was a contingency of their obedience. Why? Yeah. Uh, because and to your second point, life always comes. from through the death of yeah, another. Yeah. So they're even though they were God's chosen people, they're they're the first son, they're 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 God's kind of son in a people embodied, yeah. uh, they still needed payment for their sin, mm-hmm. right? There mm-hmm. there still needed to be blood that kind of supersedes that. And so in that reality, I, I, we're we're living these lives battling our own sin, uh, thinking through the vertical, the consequences that sin actually puts in between us and God, but also the horizontal ramifications of our sin. So uh, we had a questioner kind of asking about the, that kind of dynamic and basically, you know, asking, you know, we see some logical consequences opposed by God to better understand his nature in, Uh in specifically here in Exodus um, that seemed to be like pretty extreme from a human perspective. Yeah. Uh, would you counsel someone going through a difficult time that there might be logical consequences for another area of their life so that there mm-hmm. might be ramifications of their sin that is spreading beyond just the immediate context of their sin, uh, yeah. I think is what the questioner is getting at. Yeah. And, you know, does God still work in this way? Is is he still, I guess in that sense, using our own sin and yeah. inability to keep his perfect law yeah. uh, to reflect something about himself? Yeah. My mind immediately goes to where Paul says, if we fail to keep the law at one point, we fail to keep all of the law. Mm. And the idea that there is an interconnectedness to... So, you know, that the, the question gets very pastoral very quickly. Like, would you counsel someone going through a difficult time? There could, this could be logical consequences for another area of your life. Yeah. Um, whenever something is, is kind of on fire in someone's life, there's like a lot of consequences going on in their life. Yeah. I think good advice is to always encourage that person, call that person to take account of their life and to seek out if there are areas of life that they are being unrepentant or hardened into mm-hmm. and pursue repentance for their sin. Yeah. I'm I'm wary to draw really clear, direct, linear lines between this sin and this consequence. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes that's like, so like maybe an example where I would do that is like, okay, if we're not following God's design for marriage and sexuality and we, we end up with... Um, a, a pregnancy, uh, yeah. an unplanned pregnancy. It's like, okay, well, there's a, there's a direct line I can draw. Yeah. Like here's, there's a design for God, a context in which sexual activity is meant to be enjoyed. It wasn't enjoyed in that context. Now there's a baby that we're not expecting that we were going to have. Like, yeah. it's like, okay, there's, mm-hmm. there's a consequence that, that there's some that are very natural, easy lines to draw apart from those. It's, it's dangerous to draw too many direct lines from like this sin led to this consequence in your life. Yeah. Like, 
like, okay, you didn't follow God's design for sexuality, therefore your mom got cancer. It's mm-hmm. like, well, that's that. I wouldn't draw that line for mm-hmm. people. I think, and I, I, we we have this desire to always kind of to have cause and effect and yep. to just draw these lines in our lives and make neat, nice order at where everything is logical. And I mm-hmm. think that's not in many ways the, the kingdom of God, the gospel is rational, is logical, but God is also works in very mysterious, un, unlogical, irrational yeah. um, kind of ways to our minds. And so I guess I would say um, it's always worth taking an account of your life mm-hmm. and seeking out uh, areas of hardness or unrepentance and just taking those before God at the same time to not get hung up trying to draw all of these direct lines between if I'm sitting here, the consequence probably looks like this. Yeah. And while at the same time we have to, we have to draw back and understand, Yeah, man, there are always horizontal consequences. There's always yeah. relationship with God consequences, sure. but there's also this reality that our sin doesn't just exist in this vacuum between us and God. That's right. That as we sin, because we are in Christ restored to his people, yeah. when we sin, yeah. there is, whether we like it or not, horizontal and like infection into the lives uh, of others. And, and in that there's this beautiful reality where we get to bear some of that. We get to uh, extend reconciliation. Like we practice each week in passing the peace. There's, there's this beautiful rehearsing of applying the gospel to one another and, and actually extending the mercy that we've been given in Christ. But attributing uh, specific consequences usually takes us down rabbit holes that are just unhelpful and usually yeah. lead us into questions that usually tend to in in despair yeah. uh or and uh usually it, it's just unhelpful yeah I um i think a good line of thought here too i, I think relates to your bigger question that you really mm. asked at the end and it's this idea do i trust the blood of jesus for my salvation yeah in the midst of this kind of like grid of of sin between us and God and others, um, you know, or am I just trying to apply some self righteousness or yeah. or something other than the blood of Christ in red paint to my life? Yeah. So yeah. I, I guess the question as we're dealing with this, as we're wrestling with sin, as we're seeing these effects in our lives and the lives of others, what's the evidence that we're just settling for red paint, Matt? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. I I think. Um, yeah, we use that. I use that red paint kind of analogy to say that if, like, if red paint would have sufficed, mm. if that was enough to either create the distinction, okay, these are Israelites, these are Egyptians, yeah, or if it would have sufficed to even say, you know, like that, that just the faith and obedience component, like God could have just said, okay, take red paint, put it on your doorpost. It mm. really didn't require death and the, it required blood, yeah, for God to pass over. Um, so I think, I think our versions of red paint are like whatever we bring to God or point to in our lives to say, God, this is why Mm. I'm worthy of your salvation. This is why you should not judge me in my sin. These are my good deeds. Mm. This is my church attendance. This is my morality, my respectability. This is why Mm. I'm better than all the bad people that are out there in the world. And, and, um, and none of that holds up. Like Mm. none of that holds up to be, to be sufficient enough to merit enough for God to pass over us and Mm. not put our judgment against our sin rightfully on us. Uh, only, only blood, only the blood of Jesus specifically can do that. So, yeah, so it's a good, it's a good reminder of like, how does salvation actually happen? And Mm -hmm. even though most of us that call ourselves Christians know that and know that we could not have ever done enough of those righteous deeds, um, that only by grace, only through the work of Jesus could we experience salvation. 
man, we so quickly run back to pointing to things in our life about why why God should save us, why God owes us salvation based on me, based on my yeah. resume, based on. And so I, I think that's a good good check when we come to these moments um, and say, what what am I doing that with in my life right now? Is it, am I trusting the fact that, you know, I'm well, I'm a hard worker at my job. Mm. Um, I am a good parent of my kids. I parent my kids the right way. I yeah. don't just put them on a screen all day like all those other bad parents that are out there. <laughs> I don't like whatever whatever it is that we have these um, these performance oriented yeah. versions of self righteousness that we say this God this is why I'm better than those people over there. Huh. And the Passover, the, the the fact that it required blood and not just red paint. <laughs> Um, it's just, it just obliterates whatever case, whatever resume we would bring to God. On those yeah. Things. And, and there's even an immense kindness of God included in this realizing that some Egypt's Egyptians are leaving with the Israelites, yeah. meaning yeah. they too saw the significance in the Passover lamb yeah. and walked in obedience and newness yeah. of life in that. Right. Yeah. And are, are being welcomed yeah. into the people of God. We even, you even kind of indicated this yeah, yesterday sojourner. that man, the sojourner among you that is willing to be circumcised, that's yeah. willing to keep the law, that's willing to uh, continue commemorating yeah. this Passover lamb alongside of us. The law is their law, man. Yeah. There's yeah. one law for for yeah. all of you uh, and welcoming into the kingdom of God, this this God of all nations, yeah. and further carrying out that blessing that we see promised to Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15. And that's where mm-hmm. my, my mission's brain is like, yes, yeah, like, good. man, like, the the missions mandate doesn't start in Matthew twenty eight. It, right. it, it's it's being culminated throughout the whole Bible. That's really good. Uh, from That's right. the moment we get uh, the first gospel in Genesis three, so it's that yeah. just makes me really excited. Yeah. And I think in the midst of battling sin and all of yeah. this, I, I think we have to celebrate the joy that it is that we get to be a part of this mission too. Yeah. Right? There's That's there's good. so much significance to that. There's joy in that. And as we're killing our own sin, man, we're testing testifying to the work of God in our own lives and calling other people yeah. into repentance to believe and look to this lamb that is spotless and without blemish. Yeah, that's good. Um, and that is so good that's and really so good. helpful. Yeah. I think maybe to wrap things up yeah. really quickly, we yeah. have one more question left. That's kind of living in this, this land of distinction. And, yeah. and you talked about yesterday, God's grid for distinction Yep. is very different than ours, yeah. right? Um, and y- you kind of even talked about this. Before we get to the listener's question, I think it's helpful to kind of talk about the two pitfalls of our grid. And you yep. talked about those pitfalls being wrongfully exclusive and wrongfully inclusive. Yeah. So I, I guess my, and I think this, my question in that, this is my question. I'll show my cards to the listeners. But yeah. how do we confront our own propensity towards partiality? Yeah. And so I think our listener's question is going in that direction. So why yeah. don't we start there? So that James concept, I think, of partiality, yeah. of really distinguishing a person by what they can give you, what you yep. can take from them, yep. as opposed to them as humans, whether or not they're in Jesus or not, which is the the real grid. Yeah. Um, how do we actually confront or even know if we're, yeah. we're living in that wrongfully exclusive camp? Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I, I mean, I think it's... Um, 
is it Anne Lamott? I should look up this quote and who it, who it was. So it might not be her, but it's like if if God hates all the same people you do, then you've made God in your own image. You know, like it's it's like this idea of if you're able to just to write off people for for socioeconomic class, for race, ethnicity, nationality. Mm-hmm. If 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 God hates all the same people you do, then you've made God in your image rather than yeah. being made in the image of God. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's a that's I think just recognizing that we have a propensity even in light of this last thing we were just talking about to point to our resume and our red paint, our yeah. versions of self-righteousness to, to just immediately judge people that are not whatever standard we're using there for our own resume, the same standard for other people. And if they're not measuring up to, to show partiality, to, to create, to create differentiation yeah. between people. So I think we have to, to really, um, to really just, to really just ask God to lay our hearts bare for the assumptions, mm. the, the, the bias, the prejudice that we just carry. Um, mm. there's a reason that the New Testament has to emphasize so much that the dividing walls of hostility, uh, are broken are down. Are broken down. Yeah. I mean, that, that assumes that because of the fall, we're all born into families, systems, societies. We have walls of hostility between us and other people. Well, and we see that baked into the Genesis account totally. of when sin happens. Totally. It's like it breaks down so fast. Immediately. Nations start to get really mad at other. I mean, it's just yeah. like it's, it's an And instant. it just keeps building. So we have hot. So the, the faster we can acknowledge, I have hostility in my heart against some people. I'm, it's hard hardwired into me because mm. of the fall. And then my own family, the history, background, all that stuff. The more we can acknowledge that, it's like, what are the hostilities? Mm. What are the, the, what's the partiality that yeah. I'm inclined to? Yeah. So what am I needing to be attentive to and repentant of mm. and not to harbor? I think that's the huge first step. Mm. If we assume that it's there and just ask where it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, and I'm, I'm, I'm cautious here because I know this can sound a little bit like cultural topics playing out right now in a critical theory kind of, kind of mindset. What I'm, what I'm saying is radically different mm-hmm. from that is to say that this is rooted in humanity's rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the solution to it is not to just like do better, yep. <laughs> um, to not just like, Hey, stop doing that and do better. It's to say sin may, means that there are, there are hostilities in my own heart against other types of people. I need to repent of those hostilities. I need to see them the way that God sees them. I need to see them with the compassion that Jesus sees them. Um, and let that be what eradicates the distinctions between people. Yeah. Not to either like what, what we do culturally right now is we either get this like crazy guilt complex, like, oh my gosh, yeah. I, and we just live out of this shame and guilt. Like, I can't believe I ever had hostility against those people. Yeah. Or um, we get really self-righteous about the fact that we're, well, we're not like that. Mm. And we quickly turn around and start to show partiality against people who do so yep. like we're you know i think that's there's a very different the overcorrection on both ends is is pretty awful yeah for sure yeah for and, sure and it's helpful i think to avoid uh in, in most cases um this person I, I think this is a good distinction so basically they're they're kind of pushing this a little bit further in this yeah. question and saying okay in light of all of that yeah is there any way that like god's people the church now is to be physically distinctive huh. from the yeah. rest of the world in that sure. sense so they're kind of speaking to certain styles or haircuts or mannerisms uh or you know also it's like you know, are there certain ways that we should be dressing or should we avo- yeah. be avoiding tattoos or all these different que- these questions? So the question with culture always changing, with, yeah. with, with things looking differently, how does obedience clash with cultural practices or, or how these things all change over time? 
Yeah, this is an enormous question, uh, by a, the way. It's a great question. But huge, huge question. Um, yeah, I, th- I think there's a, there's a lot that is cultural. Hmm. Um, even like we just, we don't dress the same way that people dressed in, in nope. the ancient Near East or in the first century or, you know, hairstyles, mannerisms. There's a lot of this stuff that does change culturally. Even the beauty that God is the God of all nations, the people from every tongue and tribe and nation are welcomed in means that, and this is the, this is another aspect of the distinctiveness that we didn't mm. really get to unpack in the sermon on Sunday that, that the gospel doesn't eradicate distinctions. Like there's still, there still are like beautiful, yep. diver, there's a beautiful diversity of ethnicity and cultural practice that's mm-hmm. welcomed in. And even the beauty of Jesus breaking down the dividing walls of hostility, yeah. the fulfillment of the Passover is that a lot of the cultural stuff that nations have get to be get to be brought to be in and redeemed there... and, and yeah. brought into the kingdom of God as opposed to like, nope, just look like an ethnic cultural Jewish person. Yep. Now you're in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the root underneath this, the answer to this question. The principles that show up in the New Testament have to do with in your time and place, there are certain kinds of things mm-hmm. that are read a certain way. Um, like a great one that would be open for like, the, the, I'll just let you guys talk about this in your um, <laughs> in your Bible study groups this week. Like, um, you know, like young people, men and women paint their fingernails now more than mm-hmm. like, especially men ever did for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a cultural thing to that. How does that, how is that read broadly by other, I think there's, there's some fascinating interplay in those cultural things to go. Should Christians do that or should they not do that? Right. And why? Yeah. Is, is there going to be a book chapter and verse that says, don't do this or don't do this. No. Yeah. Um, and so we're going to have to go back to these principles of like, okay, how how does that come across and appear to people mm-hmm. in the church? How does it come across to people outside the church? Um, am I doing something that's causing people to stumble? Yeah. Am I doing something? We start getting into like some First Corinthians. What what is helpful? What is not? Yep. Th- those conversations and what's respectable? Yeah. And, and and you know certainly like the grid of like is this pursuing holiness and being above reproach and and we're all gonna i mean those are some this is some hard questions to yeah. wrestle through and i think there's even some questions of you know what what does it mean to live out like our embodied uh life experience honoring our our gender biological yeah. gender and, yeah. and just some some different realities totally. like that so what we totally. don't want to do is just wholesale say cultural stereotypical versions of manhood and womanhood sure. like that that we don't want to do those types yeah. of things yeah. um, but we do want to honor the body that we've yeah. been given yeah. uh, and live in accordance to submission and obedience to Jesus and live that out right. uh, in in that tension That's and that right. joy, knowing that do that cultural standards do change. Yeah. Uh, and so how do, how do we live that out? And I think you're right. I think the best way to do that is living that out in the tension and submission to community in our local church, yeah, uh, in our Bible studies, in our, yeah. in our marriages, in our friendships, as we're inviting, uh, singles into our marriages as friends. Like there's, there's overlapping relationships here that I think actually add some robust things yeah. into that discussion that help us, uh, really do healthy evaluation in tension and community, which, yeah. I love and I enjoy so much. Yeah, uh, I think that's all of our questions, yeah, which great. we've gone a, a decent amount of time, but we've yeah. tackled all of our questions. Yeah. 
Uh, thank you for asking yeah, these questions, by the way. I, I think at the end of the day, this is intended to be a resource for you. And we want to make sure that we're answering your observational and more like interpretive questions. But we also recognize that we do this not to just live there, but we're, we're, we're doing this to actually getting to the, the apply, so what, all these things. Um, and Matt, I think you've done a, a good job with your Bible study questions. Mm, um, yeah. This week and actually uh, making that a little bit more concrete for us as we go into our Bible studies, we can be asking ourselves the question, so what does this mean? Yeah. Yep. How does this change how I live? Yeah. Uh, and I think as we, we seek to answer that question this week, man, we get to live and rest and look to that spotless lamb that, that, that takes yeah. away the sins of the world and uh, be surprised yeah. and encouraged this week by that spotless lamb. Um, with that, Matt, do you have any final thoughts for Bible studies this week? I would just say, just to your point, Jenna, which I think is right on to, um, there are some really fascinating big picture questions about scripture to Mm. do rabbit trail dives on in this. And I would say as much as you can try to do those offline from your Bible study group gathering and Mm. try in your Bible study group gathering to really get into the difference that the... That and take the, all those questions to Ben LeClaire. That's nice. Take them all to Ben. Yeah. Take them all to Ben. And and really try to, to, to make this concrete in a way that you can also like work out together in community and hold each other accountable to. If you, if you just talk about the, the, the question of how many Israelites are, are, are there and the number of people leaving Egypt. And if you just talk about these bigger picture theoretical ones, you really miss the forest for the trees of what is the difference? Like what does it actually mean to trust the blood of Jesus as opposed to our red paint? And, and how do we, how do we think about this, this, this distinguished, this, um, this distinctions that God makes mm-hmm. and not using our own grid? I think those are, those are the, the concrete application based ones to really focus on. Yeah. Yeah. And I just wanted to leave them with this word from Nothing But the Blood, one of my mm. favorite, favorite hymns. And we sang it, we on we Sunday, it on Sunday, but nothing can for my sin atone. Nothing but the blood of Jesus, not of good that I have done. Mm. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Uh, and I think that's just so helpful as we go into our own weeks, recognizing that we can't apply the paint to our own lives. We need that blood of Jesus reapplied yeah, day in, day out. Matt, uh, thanks for enduring no, uh, the, the voice oh, struggles yeah, yeah. and, yeah, and all the it. things. We and made we made it through. Uh, Lord willing, this uh, will still exist when I complete this recording. Uh, thank you guys for spending time with us and enjoying another episode of the B-Side Podcast. We will see you again next week. Have a great week, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon B-Side Podcast. For more resources and information about our church, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org.